A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, maybe you've noticed there are a lot of women's conferences out there lately. They're popping up everywhere, advertising empowerment, inspiration, and not just for women nearing the top. What about your average consumer who's like watching Kim Kardashian or has like no clue as to what even empowerment means and what feminism is or why it matters to them? So that's my goal is really to set out to create the world's most accessible women's conference. But are these events actually changing anything for women? They're really based on this philosophy of you can just, you know, work to improve yourself make yourself better, smarter, stronger, you look better. But the fact is, as long as women are just sort of fighting these little solo battles, I don't think a lot is going to change. Coming up, we take a look at the growing business of women's conferences and whether they're anything more than a tonic. Sheila Kolhatkar is a staff writer for The New Yorker. We met a bit earlier this summer when she was still at Business Week. And earlier this year, she wrote a piece for that magazine that articulated so many things I'd been thinking about women's conferences, but hadn't quite been able to put into words. I asked Sheila how she came to this topic in the first place. I noticed over the last couple of years that I would get invitations to these women's conferences. It seemed to happen every month. It was women's empowerment, women in innovation, women in science, women in STEM, the glass ceiling. You know, there were dozens of them. And I was intrigued. And of course, I'm interested in women's issues naturally, and it's something I write about. So I started to go. And one of the first things I noticed was the way a lot of the women who are up on the stage look They are very, very glamorous, most of them. I don't want to generalize, but this was the real strong point that, you know, I came away with. They had, they were often wearing these very sort of stylish little skirts and dresses. They had these crazy high heels on. I'm not a person who can really walk very well in high heels, although I think they look really great. But I wondered, they're all up there in these stiletto heels talking about feminism and women's empowerment. And when you sit in the audience, you just, you, there's this sort of row of high stiletto shoes right at your eye level. And it's sort of all you see when you're sitting down below the stage. And I just thought that was very odd, given the subject matter of a lot of these conferences. And so I started to wonder what exactly these conferences were accomplishing. They were clearly turning into a huge business for a lot of corporations and media companies. And I started to wonder whether any of the women attending the conferences were coming away with what was advertised, which was empowerment, inspiration, changing the conversation. There were often very vague promises, but I wondered if people were getting what they paid for. And that business about the shoes, that really struck me at the last couple of conferences I went to. And if you're thinking, look, what does it matter what people wear on their feet? I guess for me, the fact these women on the panels all looked so glamorous and were in these towering heels made me wonder, 
do I fit in here? Does my version of feminism belong here? I suppose I felt a little bit intimidated by the glamour level. I've also wondered about this. Do you have to look like the best approximation of a model to be a panellist at this thing? And if so, doesn't it sort of defeat the purpose? I think that's a good question. I I should disclose that I have participated in many of these conferences as a panelist, as a moderator. I've done interviews on some of these stages. So, of course, I started to think about this myself. You want to look good. A lot of people are going to be watching you. They're making videos. People are tweeting photos. Of course, we all want to look good. And then you look around at what the other women are wearing. Um, I think Partly the aesthetic comes from the broadcast TV world because often these conferences go to TV anchors and reporters and ask them to come and do these live interviews because those people are used to doing that all day long. And the broadcast TV aesthetic for women is is quite unforgiving, in my opinion. I've, I've worked in that world a bit as well. And, you know, typically it's a very image-conscious business and the women are very, very thin and they wear these tiny sleeveless dresses while they report on the news all day and they wear these high heels. So I think this is sort of translated over into the conference world. But not completely. Sheila points out there is one conference with quite a mix of guests. Tina Brown's wildly successful Women in the World conference. It's been held on a few continents. She has tons of celebrities from entertainment, politics and royalty. But she also features refugees and rape victims from Syria and India, women whose names we'd never know if we didn't attend the conference and hear their stories. But the thing about hearing their stories is you want to do something to help after the event is over. And you don't really get the opportunity even if you come away awed by their bravery and determination. With regard to whether these actually do anything, that was, I think, the thing that was lurking at the back of my head. Like the people you talk to in the piece, I've totally come away inspired and with a lovely warm glow inside and thinking about all the achievements I've heard about, all the conquering, conquering hard times and all that stuff. But at what point did you start to think, Was it at the very first conference you attended when you thought, is this achieving anything? Or was it as a result of going to several that you began to, the warm glow began to wear off? I had a moment of epiphany when I uh, acted as a moderator at one particular panel. It was at Advertising Week. It was maybe two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And the subject of the discussion was the, it was called The Glass Ladder. And it was about women in creative professions like film, music, advertising, creative directors, And uh, it was a group of very impressive women from different companies, you know, very accomplished women. The event was held at a big theatre on 42nd Street in New York, and the room was packed. She says you could feel the excitement in the air. This topic was something these women really wanted to sink their teeth into, because there are so few women at the top in these creative industries. Sheila says the session was a hit. And at the end, she glanced out across the room. So the house lights came up and I looked out into the audience and it was all women. I don't think there was a single man there. And I guess if I'd really thought about it, it you know, that shouldn't have really surprised me. But I was still a little shocked to see how completely uniformly female the, the audience was. And I thought, well, I'm glad that, you know, women are seeking out these kinds of experiences to kind of help guide them or, you know, get advice or whatever it is but really we're you know men are missing from this conversation about why there aren't more women in certain industries why women women's careers seem to just sort of fall apart after they have children why there are so few women CEOs 
why maternity leave policy is still so behind most other, you know, advanced countries uh, in the United States. And none of those things are really going to change unless men are involved because men, the fact is men still run most of these companies. They're the ones setting the policies at these corporations where all these women are sort of struggling to figure out how to move forward. And just that moment really crystallized it for me. I've had that feeling too. That said, one of the conferences I went to a few years ago, the She Summit in New York, it had one panel where men talked about men's part in this whole effort to bring more equality to the workplace and life in general. But there were almost no men in the audience. And one of the men on the panel even raised this. He said the names of these conferences put men off. He pointed out that how many men are going to attend something that has the word women in the title? And I I think about that all the time. Even the title of my show, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I know I have male listeners, but they're going to be a minority because most people are like, that's not for me because it has it has women in it. And I think that's a problem with these conferences. I, I raised this question with a lot of the conference organizers I spoke with, and they all acknowledge that, yes, we need to get more men. But the fact is, uh, packaging these things and branding them as women's events uh, is very effective. I mean, they are sold out. And even though there's sort of a new one popping up every day, there seems to be unlimited demand, which, I mean, I kind of concluded is a reflection of the fact that women are extremely frustrated You know, they all go charging into the workplace, they get their degrees, they get the best grades, and then they suddenly encounter all sorts of obstacles they weren't anticipating. They they kind of suddenly look around and, you know, they're thinking about starting a family or they're trying to move up and they or they're making less money than their male colleague and they just are kind of bewildered. They did all the things we were telling them to do and they're feeling really frustrated. So I think as long as that exists as a problem in our society, I think these conferences are going to fill up with women. Now, Getting more men involved is one important goal. I would say, um, you know, having spoken to a number of sort of historians and social justice sort of experts and activists, you know, a few of them sort of said, well, if there was maybe more follow through afterwards, that might help too, because the conferences are very individual. They're very focused on personal, you know, personal improvement. Yeah, and And overcoming personal issues. That's it. So they're really based on this philosophy of you can just, you know, work to improve yourself, make yourself better, smarter, stronger, you look better, you know, lose a few pounds, get get better footwear, ask for more raises. There's a lot of advice about how women should just ask for raises more often, which I think is true. But the fact is, as long as women are just sort of fighting these little solo battles, I don't think a lot is going to change. And I spoke with a few women studies professors or academics and historians who've studied social change and movements and civil rights. And the fact is, things don't really happen on a big scale until people take collective action. So people, women, whoever it is, need to kind of group together and push for changes, whether it's in the political arena, whether it's within individual companies. And I think as long as women are being preached at you know, being told that they should constantly just work harder to sort of make themselves better. There's just going to be a wall. I mean, there's only so far you can go with just pure self-improvement advice. Or is there? We'll come back to Sheila again a little later in the show. In the meantime, we'll hear from someone with a different take. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Claudia Chan is the founder and CEO of She Global Media. She and her organization put on a women's conference every year in New York, one I've been to a few times. She says the aim is to bring together a group of women who want to be leaders, women who are part of what she calls the macro movement. Our core conference every year is She Summit, and it is a membership-driven global empowerment conference, and it's all about attracting, identifying, convening who these individuals are to give them the role models and the education and the conversation and the activation to rise to their highest potential and lift other women. Heady stuff. Claudia started her conference right around the same time I launched the Broad Experience. It was 2012. And until former State Department employee Anne-Marie Slaughter wrote her famous Why Women Still Can't Have It All article for The Atlantic that summer, women in the workplace definitely felt micro rather than macro. Her article and Sheryl Sandberg's book Lean In changed that. Suddenly it felt like everyone was talking about this stuff. Yeah, and it's it's great because it's almost like a crescendo has happened, right? And we're all tackling different pieces of it. And so, you know, my, I come from, my last company was another event company called Shecky's, and we convened women and their girlfriend groups for shopping experiences, discovery. And so my whole background was convening mass crowds of women and figuring out what they would be attracted to. And so my whole goal was I wanted to mainstream women's empowerment. I'm like, everything out there, women's conference-wise, was elite, exclusive, and expensive. And I'm like, okay, well, that's great. And it's important to convene our most successful, powerful people, you know, female leaders. But what about your average consumer who's like watching Kim Kardashian or, you know, that has like no clue as to what even empowerment means and and what feminism is or, you know, why it matters to them. So that's my goal is really to set out to create the world's most accessible women's conference and to create an agenda that was that was very relatable and practical. Claudia's had some fantastic speakers, including Samantha Power, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Deepak Chopra and Marianne Pearl. She's the widow of murdered Wall Street Journal reporter Daniel Pearl. And then there was that panel on men's part in lifting women up that still sticks in my mind a couple of years later. I mean, and this year we're actually going to have even more men. And, and that's what it is, right? It's giving, giving this audience, you know, and we charge, you know, 200 to $500 for access to the conference. So it's super accessible for two days. And it's, it's almost like a leadership curriculum that women will go through. But, but you're just getting this massive exposure to such a wide variety of, of role models and thought leaders. But the argument that was made in that Business Week piece is that and then you kind of get back to your desk and the guy next to you is still being paid more. And there are all these structural issues that mean that there's only so far you can go with all that stuff that you took away from conferences. Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. I mean... I'm doing this because I'm a product of consuming thought leadership. I'm a product of consuming inspiration. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, but whether or not I consume that inspiration through books or through conferences or my Sunday sermons when I go to church or my yoga meditation and immersions and, you know, like I, I have my mixed bag of like sort of what's ignited me, what's activated me, but 
you know, in order for people to really get activated, you know, we need to connect with other people. We need to get educated, right? We need to get inspired. And it's that inspiration and it's that content that creates the consciousness and it's the consciousness that actually creates the change. And then we can say that, you know, okay, these conferences are, are critical because in many ways, it's hearing other people's stories. It's seeing other role models. We cannot be what we cannot see. We cannot become what we do not believe. So, you know, we need exposure to these types of things. And, and there's something about the physicality, right? I mean, it's one thing to read some article in the New York Times and read a great compelling piece and or watch a really inspirational video. But it's a whole other thing when you're physically energy. The power of, of real life energy is so strong. It's true. There is something about being in a room with all those other people who care about the same things you do. And the panels are inspiring. And the thing is, is that greatness and leadership and making a massive social change to actually change these structures that we're pissed off about, like we have to be the change we want to see. So we can't just go to a conference and say, oh, this is amazing. And then we go back to our everyday life. You know, we have to actually work harder, unfortunately, you know, to actually do the more work so that, okay, so what else am I going to do about that? Like that really pisses me off, that thing about blah, blah, blah policy or, you know, or this issue or the fact that my company doesn't have this. Like, can we be social entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs? We need to self-motivate. So for Claudia, self-motivation is key. And the thing is, she's got so much energy and she feels so passionately about making things better for women. You get all caught up in her enthusiasm when you hear her speak. There's definitely a whiff of Oprah about her. Claudia genuinely wants change. She wants to help people. She's not a cynical person, unlike yours truly. Talking of my dark side, what about what comes after the conference? Does anything change? What I typically see is people sort of up their game. Um, if you're, you know, whether or not you're, for example, if you're, if you're starting a company or you're building a company, because uh, a lot of what we, we teach is like obstacles are what create the opportunities, right? And, you know, it's often easy to get discouraged and we've seen people sort of up their game. One person um, launched a water company, Wellness Water for, for Women at a She Summit. She personally said to me, you know, this has inspired me so much. I'm going to do this. We've had a lot of those stories. Um, A lot of women have actually met collaborators, like assistants, made hires through connections at She Summit. We've had people that have met and created businesses together. She says she's had women in corporate tell her they're now determined to make changes at their workplace. It's definitely one of those things where, you know, everybody always asks, well, what's the what's the next step out of this? We can't just continue to bring people together. We have to have like more practical next next steps. And the truth is, is a lot of things do happen. It's just a lot of that is, you know, it's hard to track those things. I can believe it. Doing this podcast, I have the same feeling. I think and hope that in its own way, it's helping galvanize change. But frankly, this show isn't going to alter America's lack of a maternity leave policy, for example. But talking of impact... I wonder if Claudia has ever thought about this for her conference. It's something Sheila Kolhatkar brought up with me. All these conferences are sponsored by big corporate names. And you do wonder sometimes, are these sponsor companies walking the walk where women are concerned or just talking the talk? Here's Sheila again. You know, I think companies who are involved in this world, and particularly there are a lot of corporate sponsors who who pay money to have their logos really prominently displayed at these conferences. I think that the conference organizers, if they really wanted to push for change, they could sort of tell those companies, if you want to be affiliated with our Women's Empowerment Conference, you need to make a commitment to kind of get 30% female board members at your company or to 
to publish all of the salaries of your employees so people can see whether they're being paid fairly or whether they're, you know, having, you know, they're being paid less than their male counterpart, all these things that they could do. And, um, you know, I think that's happened in, in small ways around the margins, but I think that the people involved in this industry could really push for change by demanding that in exchange for the branding and the public relations benefit, you have to actually do something. And actually, that reminds me of something you, you alluded to in the piece, which is that reminded me of my own experience at these things, which is you get these women from famous companies who are often panelists and guests and talking about their own experience. But you might read something three days later about that company that isn't very flattering to its reputation around how it treats its female employees. And this is supposed to be a kind of sharing. We're all telling our personal stories. We're all inspiring each other environment. But I have often wondered, seeing some of these women from companies that have a lot to lose by being too honest about what's really going on there, you know, how honest are you really able to be up there on the podium? Well, I I went to the Fortune Most Powerful Women Summit, which is a very, very interesting conference that has been going on for um, 15 years or more, I believe. And uh, it's been very successful. I mean, I think they're now charging $10,000 a head. And these are the top women, literally the cream of the crop of corporate America. And, you know, I did certainly notice a lot of these women go on the stage and they do these interviews, but they are corporate actors and you know, they can be fired at any point like anyone else and they have to think about their company and their company's share price and their PR department and they're very restricted what they can say. And often they they were presenting, I believe, a, just sort of a rosier view where they were sort of glossing over some of the dirty details. And then you would notice in between the, the public interview sessions and the things going on on stage, you would have these kind of off-the-record chats over wine at dinner with these power women. And they would just dish about how hard things were. They were fighting, you know, their whole board of directors was male and it was just this incredible struggle. And, you know, that many of them have husbands who didn't, didn't work outside the home. And that's how they're managing to have families and sort of these do do it all I mean but you just wouldn't necessarily know that from the outside it looks like they're these super women who are doing all these things that seem really difficult when you actually try them yourself and you know this is something that Amory Slaughter mentioned when I interviewed her for this piece she kind of said I would one of the things I would do if I was organizing a conference like this I would ask all the women to go up there and give give us the just sort of warts and all description of what their domestic arrangement is like I think it would be hard to get that kind of honesty I mean maybe the women would refuse and I don't know why they're so scared of talking about this but it has become a big stigma you can't really you know go public with some of these things but I think that would be more helpful than presenting this kind of glossy view that you can do everything and you can have the raise and the big job and the family and the this you know it's just not nothing works that smoothly in reality and I think women get incredibly frustrated thinking that they should be having all this stuff that is in fact impossible to achieve without tremendous sacrifice so uh, a more honest conversation would be helpful. Finally I wanted to ask her about something that word that plays such a big part in any discussion around women. What do you think of the word empowerment how does that word make you feel? Well, it's a complicated word. So uh, I think that it's actually the concept behind it is very valid and important. And I think there are a lot of women who don't feel like they have the authority or the self-confidence to sort of speak their mind and ask for what they deserve and point out 
injustice or unfairness when they see it. At the same time, it has been kind of co-opted by a lot of, you know, corporations and people selling us things. And it has maybe cheapened it a little bit. I mean, I think the value and the power of that word has been diluted by the fact that it is being used by so many people to sell whatever it is they're selling. She says take America's National Football League. Some of its players have been involved in notorious domestic violence cases and the league has been roundly criticised for its slow response. But even the NFL has launched a women's summit with the tagline, Empowerment Through Sport. That's the broad experience for this time. Thanks to Sheila Kolhatkar and Claudia Chan for being my guests on this show. Now, part of my discussion with Sheila and Claudia didn't make it into the show. We got into a conversation about two women you could say are the unofficial leaders of the current women's movement. They are Sheryl Sandberg and Anne-Marie Slaughter. And here's where I'd like to hear from you. Maybe you've read Lean In or Slaughter's book, Unfinished Business. You know each woman comes from a different place. Sandberg is all about the individual making change. Slaughter is much more about institutions and structures needing to change. If you have strong feelings about either woman's message or how they've affected your attitude or your life, and you'd like to be on the show, send me a voice memo with your thoughts. Please start off by telling me your name and where you live. I'm at ashley at thebroadexperience.com. And I'll need those voice memos by August 15th. As usual, you can comment on this episode either on the show's Facebook page or at thebroadexperience.com. You can also sign up for my newsletter right there on the homepage. I'm Ashley Miltite. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.